Welcome to The Reload, where we help unconventional leaders craft the life they truly want by questioning the assumptions they have about how life works. My name is Sean, and I'll be your host on this journey. As a performance coach and special operations combat veteran, I help high-performing executives kick ass in their careers while connecting with deeply powerful insights that fuel their lives. Good morning, or good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you happen to be listening to this or I suppose I should say, whenever you happen to be listening to this. Today, I wanted to follow up on a post that went out on LinkedIn that revolves around 360 reviews. Now, every time that I've done one for a client, there has been some sort of trepidation or concern, one might say fear, (laughs) that's probably the most accurate, but there are a lot of different reasons that clients cite when it comes to their concerns. Now, admittedly, for some, it takes months before they work up the courage to actually get one done, but by and large, they find it a useful process to go through. Now, obviously, I think it doesn't stretch the imagination too far to contemplate, okay, why might this be uncomfortable for people? The idea of going to your colleagues or your direct reports or your boss or bosses, your family, your friends, key customers, key suppliers, to begin to ask questions around what they find effective or what they like, I guess might be sort of the common vernacular, about you and about the way that you do things. And then, (laughs) obviously, looking at the other side of the spectrum, what they don't like. And no matter how pro-inner development or pro-inner awareness somebody is, I have yet to meet the person who doesn't have at least some degree of discomfort around this idea of people sharing that feedback. And a big part of why there is that concern or why there is that sense of discomfort, I think is a worthy topic to dive into, or at least one of the reasons why that discomfort exists. And that is that quite frequently individuals believe, I would say mistakenly, that their uh, demons or their foibles or their, if we want to be more critical, character flaws are not readily on display. And this is something that I have found interesting because the people that I work with, I would say generally self-characterize as being aware. Now, to some degree, we do uncover quirks of their personality that they were unaware of, but I would say for the most part, they do have a pretty good sense of where it is that they express stress, how that stress gets expressed, 
And in many cases where relationships are burdened or threatened. So there is a baseline of awareness, but what seems to be missing quite frequently, and this is the part that's always so perplexing to me, I guess, is their belief that none of that is visible. And I find that interesting because every time I do a 360, especially when it comes to the team that reports to the individual, there's no mystery. There's, it's, it's uncanny how consistent the team is in understanding or at least seeing the behaviors that are counterproductive. Now, they may not fully understand the motives behind it or the origin story, and I guess I wouldn't really expect them to. But as far as recognizing where the leader has room for improvement, and also in many cases where they're strong, that that's often, I don't know, just the, this uh, self-evident truth, I guess, would be one way of describing it. And so then every time that I sit down to debrief a 360, I like to check in with the client and to just kind of get a sense of, oh, okay, well, you know, before we look at the results, what do you believe is coming out of it? What do you believe people will be saying? Where do you think they'll view you as strong or as having some sort of developmental gap? Room for improvement. And oftentimes there is a discussion around, well, these are the things that I see internally, but you know, I hope nobody else sees that because I'm really embarrassed about it or I'm really ashamed. In, in worst case scenarios. And then invariably, the team does already see it. And it makes me wonder how much time and energy and general bandwidth is the leader expending on, I don't know, trying to save face or keep up appearances, when in reality they might just take a direct approach, especially with their team, to try to begin to look at, yeah, what's going on here? And what is it that we want to do? How do we want to tackle this? Because it's not fooling anybody. And so for today, I thought it would be worthwhile looking at that dynamic and maybe entertaining some different ideas, because it's not just leaders like CEOs with their top team. We can do this in principle with anybody. And also what's quite perplexing, perhaps more perplexing, is when I have gotten into conversations with couples and where it is that my client has a belief that the partner, the one that they're married to or the one that they're spending their life with doesn't see these things. And so to dispense with this, this fiction that our tells are not visible might be worth looking at what are the benefits of taking that more direct approach. And again, you don't have to, I mean, obviously this is 
your life and you can do whatever you want with it. But it could be really time-saving at the very least and also very freeing to just own it and to bring it out into the light. You know, oftentimes when we keep secrets or we when we attempt to keep secrets, that is when we really burn ourselves out. It takes a lot of energy and mental capacity to remember, oh, I'm supposed to be this way with this group of people, or I'm don't don't make sure that this doesn't get seen or attempt to make sure that it's not seen with this other group of people. And so all of that can be very, very taxing. Not to mention that we ultimately end up operating in a place where we are not well connected or transparently connected with those around us. Especially those who really matter, you know, with whom we're running a company or with whom we're sharing a life or both or, you know, whatever your situation is. So looking at what does the direct approach entail? Well, as usual, I think it starts with some sort of mapping, some sort of awareness building. And again, you know, if you're working with a coach, then this is probably baked into the engagement. But you can also do this individually. You know, where is it that you have written out the behaviors that either in past performance reviews or, I don't know, sometimes in passing conversation, somebody has been kind enough, strong enough, courage, courageous enough to say, hey, when you do X, it seems to have this impact on the people around you. Do with it what you will. Just wanted you to know. So whatever the source of, of input has been, and maybe it's just been your simple observations of how it is that people respond to you on certain issues, sort of hot button issues, or when you behave a certain way. So that you can start to write out that list and gain a general sense of awareness of, okay, yeah, here are my, my seismic fault lines. This is where the tremors start, you know, sort of like earthquake analogy here or metaphor, I guess. And from there to be able to begin to ask questions around, yeah, okay, so why is it that this gets so heated, this issue or a relationship with a particular person? You know, one thing that can be a very noteworthy exploration is when you talk about the same issue with different people but have different reactions on the same issue. That can often be a nice way of recognizing that it's not so much the issue, it is the person. Or it's the person's delivery, or they, they remind you of something or someone. Right, But this is where you begin to, to start that inquiry. Or conversely, you have the same person, and then it's a matter of what the topic is. Where is it that you have good relationships with that or a good relationship with that person on a few issues? But then there are one or two where things really start to kind of go sideways. 
And that probably is more likely, I guess, in situations where it's a romantic couple. Ostensibly, you've chosen each other because you actually do like each other. And it's only certain issues that end up causing problems. So again, it's no one-size-fits-all. I'm just trying to offer a couple different perspectives or, or tips, tools, that you can utilize in your own life, whether you are a CEO type person or team leader type person, or whether you're looking at it more from a personal relationship standpoint. But once you have this list, and I would generally advocate that maybe take a couple weeks to really flesh it out, give some time for reflection, some time for things to settle in, some time for new ahas, so that maybe yet more things enter the list. But to begin to look at your behaviors that underlie the issues, and so really that is the focal point, is that the issue or the person, that's just the trigger. What we're really looking for is the behavior. How is it that you conduct yourself? Where is it that you lose control? How does that look? Do you yell at people? Do you give them the silent treatment? Do you get all passive aggressive? Or do you get aggressive aggressive? <laughs> Instead of you know being calm and rational and just saying, hey, I'm going to defend my boundaries, but I'm going to do so in a civil way that still is strong and doesn't allow myself to get you know walked all over. But regardless, you know, we're getting to that point where we're noticing, okay, what are the behaviors? What are the actions? And then, of course, you know, whether you do this on the way in or on the way out, you're going to be associating that with certain people. Because ultimately, we are interactive beings. You know, I've had a couple clients that were in a position where they had enough money that they could just kind of, I don't know, squirrel themselves away for a while. They were, you know, entering monk mode for several months and they were able to spend a lot of time alone doing a lot of soul searching and sort of inner awareness building just by themselves. But invariably, they went and rejoined society and they became more active again in their relationships. And it's in that relational friction that we encounter different perspectives, different opinions, alternative facts, as our former president used to say. And, I mean, yeah, to some degree, uh, you know, like we have different perspectives on the same set of facts. And a lot of it is based on our own level of awareness. A lot of it is based on our biases from how we were raised a lot of it's based on our incentives. But to get back to the people with whom you are having friction and to be able to come to them directly and just say, okay, hey, you know, I've done my homework and this is what I think my issues are. I tend to be controlling or I tend to be uh, uber optimistic. And you might think, well, you know, how is that a bad thing? 
Well, I mean, I think optimism by itself is not necessarily a bad thing, but when one is completely detached from the quote-unquote hard facts, especially when those hard facts are very difficult, one, you sort of lose credibility in the eyes of other people, and then two, if, if it's a function of bypass, meaning that it's not actually genuine optimism, but it's actually fear and an unwillingness to really truly acknowledge when things are bad or when there are, is trouble that we need to address head on, then it makes us far less effective at creating solution. So whatever the behavior is, to be able to map that back to the person with whom you're having some sort of relational friction and then to have a transparent conversation about it. Because then both parties are able to say, okay, yeah, I've noticed that. And especially if you, as the person who has noticed your own behavior, calls it out, it makes it safe for other people to <laughs> pile on. Um, and that doesn't sound too much fun. But I mean it in a healthy way. I mean it in a way that enables an honest conversation. I do not mean it in the sense of, oh yeah, yeah, you are totally trash and you should just, you know, exit the company because you suck. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> what I'm saying is how is it that we can acknowledge our own gaps and invite somebody into that conversation so that they recognize that, okay, yeah, they see it as well. And they're interested in doing it better. And they're also interested in my opinion on how that's going to work. And here I would say, again, sort of an insider tip, like, you know, don't promise. And I think I may have mentioned this in a prior episode. Don't promise to fix it. Promise to look at it. Promise to really listen to what somebody has to say about it. Because chances are the other person also has some element of the dynamic that they own that is their responsibility. You know, I won't say never, but it would be extremely rare in my experience for one person solely to have all the responsibility for a certain issue or problem. But to invite somebody into that honest, open, transparent conversation to say, okay, yeah, this is what I've noticed about myself. Have you noticed this? I'm assuming you have, given the friction that we've had in meetings or discussing finances or our sex life or you know, whatever. And if they acknowledge, yeah, okay, I have noticed that. Then to say, okay, what impact has this had this what impact has this had on you? And to just listen, don't say anything. Don't rebut. Don't say, well, yeah, 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 but, but, but no, just shut your pie hole and let them talk and write things down and do your best to keep the wounded ego at bay so that you can genuinely hear them talk and hear what they're communicating, hear their fears, their insecurities? Where do they have doubts about 
the relationship, whether it's professional or personal. And then to ask, what might look better? Again, no promises that you're actually going to do it a different way, but, and I would say explicitly state that you are not making promises that it will be fixed, but that you will do your best to look at it and do your best to hear and try to understand how you might incorporate solutions. And part of solution making or creating creating is to work together to better understand, okay, what are we actually, what are we trying to get to together? What is this thing that we can only accomplish together that we cannot accomplish apart? And then what do we each need to bring to the, the table, so to speak, in order to make that happen? And from there, actually both sides can sort of reverse engineer if, oh, okay, if I have to show up a certain way, as just a very simple example, calm <laughs> and, and receptive to ideas. You know, if that's how we need to show up to this budgeting meeting or this personal finance discussion, household finance discussion, just because money is such a hot topic for so many families and organizations, I need to be able to show up calm and open-minded about the finances. What is it that I need to engage in ahead of time in order to do that? Do I need to remind myself that my colleague or uh, better yet, my partner is not attempting outright to screw me? That we actually are in it together. And I know like when coaches say, or, you know, team facilitator folks, when, when they say these things out loud, there's this like inherent eye rolling that happens like, duh. Yeah. I mean, we, of course we're all on the same team, but it's surprising when you watch people's behavior because they behave as if they're not on the same team. So it's not that obvious. Or if it is, it's only cerebrally or intellectually obvious. It's not actually felt. And I've alluded, you know, I've talked about the whole conceptual understanding versus emotional felt perception plenty of times. But I think this this kind of this boomerang action where we we go in with a certain level of understanding and openness and and self-responsibility, where we own the behaviors that we're coming in with. And by the way, that can also create a window of opportunity to say, is there anything that I've missed? Mm. You know, that could be useful. And then at the sort of the apex of the boomerang swinging out there, you get this exchange with the other person or party where you get to really do some work to try to understand each other's perspectives and to try to understand what is this joint goal that we're trying to accomplish and then as the boomerang comes back on in, we get to then ask ourselves independently, and obviously we could do this together as well with the other party, is to map out, okay, yeah, then what do I need to do? How do I need to show up in order to, you know, really meet this joint goal? 
But to me, at least when I've watched people engage in that behavior where they're, they're upfront about it, this is not easy. So I don't want to leave you with a mistaken impression that people are just like, oh yeah, duh, super easy. I'll just go get it done. No, usually there's a lot of like palm sweating. And as one of my clients likes to say, the itchy and scratchy feeling. And that's fine. You'll get through it. You'll be okay. And on the other side of that discomfort is usually way more clarity and a way easier time moving forward. And yes, again, to be realistic, there are times when moving forward actually means moving apart. You know, this idea that sometimes the best solution is dissolution. But even that level of clarity is often very freeing for both parties. Sure, there might be sort of a mourning period as the relationship, again, whether it's personal or professional, ends. But quite frequently, they get to a place where they're like, yeah, that was the right decision. And we should have reached it sooner because now both parties are free to pursue a better fit. And I've talked about the difference between fit and value in a previous episode, so I'm not going to go into that here. But again, taking that clear, transparent approach where we own the part that is ours and we don't own the part that is not ours, meaning the other party owns their part, often creates that sense of ease once you're through the process. And in many of the teams that I've worked around, they really do pick up their operational tempo because they have trust now. They have trust that the other party sees them, understands them better, at least. And they also have a renewed shared vision that they're driving toward the same goal. And I think that that is one of the areas where when it comes to teams that are trying to move fast, you know, like I think Mark Zuckerberg was famous for saying, move fast and break things. And it's like, okay, yeah, that that works to an extent. But we also have to have periodic check-ins to make sure that we're still on the same page. We're still driving toward the same joint goal. And tackling this stuff head on as opposed to running around hoping that your demons aren't visible, that they're somehow evading perception, not only muddies the water, but as I said in the beginning, costs a lot of energy. So I hope that helps. If you are enjoying the show, uh, I'm still working with this smaller format. And hopefully you're enjoying the shorter template. But either way, whether you like it shorter or you would like it longer, that sounds weird, uh, as I say it out loud. Uh, Regardless, if you are enjoying the show, I'd love it if you would like, subscribe, share, follow, I don't, you know, all, all the things. Or not, totally up to you. Till next time, take care of each other.